Good day, listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad to have you here with us. My name is Jonathan, and I'm super excited to bring to you our next uh, lesson from the Grace-Based Recovery webinar series. Uh, This is going to be focused on principle number four, grace to belong. We've been doing this series. There's nine principles that come out of the Grace-Based Recovery book. And I've been doing a webinar series on those, and we wanted to also be able to provide that for our uh, podcast listeners. So this will be principle number four, grace to belong. And it's really going to be trying to unpack, you know, what does it look like to engage true community in recovery? Because we found in our own experience and in ministry that the only, there's no possible way to really break free from any kind of addictive pattern uh, without others, without community. And so this um, webinar and this lesson will really kind of help you unpack what it looks like to be belonging. Uh, if you'd like more information about the book and the webinar series, just go to gracebasedrecovery.com and you can get information about the upcoming webinar. You can also get access to all the previous webinars. Um, all of that is absolutely free. So just go to gracebasedrecovery.com and we hope you enjoy this episode. So let's dive in now to principle number four, grace to belong. And the main idea in this principle is that addiction leads to loneliness and isolation. And so therefore, recovery is a process of learning how to thrive in authentic community. These would be people who know and love you. And I want to share with you the two sort of pillar scripture passages that we use in this particular chapter, in this lesson. The first comes from Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12, and it says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So this is showing just the power of community in terms of protection and intimacy and just the, the value that, um, that community has and then also the danger of what isolation and aloneness has. And then we also use the uh, passage from John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17, and it says this. This is Jesus speaking. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So Jesus was preaching this one another message and community is so vital to recovery. So this whole lesson, this whole chapter is on this idea of grace to belong. How does grace lead us into authentic community and what does that actually look like and how do we live that out? 
So therefore, there are some key thoughts to consider in this, uh, with this principle of grace to belong. And I want to share with you some of those key thoughts. First, the wounds in your soul need healing. And so I'll, I'll kind of, I'll put all these up here because I want to actually share a passage from the book to kind of tie all these together. But the, the fact of the matter is we actually need community in order for our wounds to be healed. And I'll share a little bit more about that in a minute. And so community is where healing thrives. We actually need each other. Um, all of us who have gotten involved in any kind of addictive patterns have recognized how futile it is for us to keep trying to solve our problems on our own um, because it seems like every solution we come up with that, that is in isolation and disconnected, it just almost compounds delusion. It gets worse and worse. It's like it's one bad idea after the next because we're just so afraid and unwilling to bring our brokenness and our wounds into the presence of other people because we've got to keep our image up. We've got to present ourselves as somebody who's not weak, doesn't have you know any problems and can always put a smile on our face. And the reality is, is we're broken. And uh, community is where we begin to realize what healing is all about. In the book, I state that you will never experience the fullness of healing in isolation. And I think that's a good thing to meditate on a while because sometimes it takes people a while to believe that. Like I said, we, we continue to try to come up with our own solutions over and over and over again. And we don't fully embrace this idea that we're never going to experience the fullness of our healing, the fullness of our recovery, if we remain isolated and disconnected from others. And finally, another key thought is recovery community is like a hospital. And so I actually want to share with you kind of the passage in this chapter that, that sort of addresses these four key thoughts and kind of ties them together. And this actually is on page 26 in the book. It says this, you will never experience the fullness of healing, physical, emotional, and spiritual in isolation. God designed you to belong to him and to other Christ followers. We need each other if we are to heal and grow in our recovery. And now I unpack an illustration here that kind of helps you see what this idea of recovery community being a hospital looks like. When I think about the importance of community to healing and recovery, the image that comes to mind is that of a hospital. If you broke your leg, you would not assume that such an injury could heal without the involvement of others, right? You would need someone to transport you to professional help. You would need a doctor or surgeon to assess the damage and prescribe the right treatment. You would need nurses, excuse me, pharmacists, physical therapists, and more to walk you through, no pun intended, all the emotional support, uh, all the stages of healing to your broken leg. In addition, you would need the emotional support of friends and family and the spiritual support of the Holy Spirit and your church family. You would need community to heal from a broken leg. Pardon me for a second. All this recovery talks get me all choked up, you know. Um, so ask yourself this question. How much more do you think you need a Christ-centered community to heal from, to heal from the wounds connected to your addictive strongholds? That's the idea here in this session, in this lesson. We would think it ridiculous to assume that if we broke our leg, we could fully heal well by ourselves from that injury. We, we instinctively know we have got to have help in order to heal 
from a broken leg. And yet when it comes to the wounds in our soul, when it comes to the brokenness in our insides, in our heart, we somehow say, I can handle that all on my own. And in many ways, I would say that the wounds and the brokenness inside of us goes far deeper and causes so much more pain than simply a physically broken leg. And so it's, it's vital that we understand the value and the necessity of this healing. And so I, another thing I want to share about this key thought about this idea of belonging is, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about their relationship with Christ as being this private thing, right? We, we talk about it being, being private, you know, that's nobody's business. And, and the reality is, is that our relationship with Christ is personal because we have a personal relationship with Christ, but it is never meant to be private. And I think that the same can be said in recovery. There is a personal aspect to it. We have personal brokenness. We have personal wounds, but we are never meant to carry those privately. Yes, they're personal. Yes, even the insights and the things that we gain along our recovery, they're personal. They impact us personally, but we're never to take the steps on that journey privately. We were meant by God to be community people, and it's in community that we actually experience the healing, the thriving that God wants us to have. So next, let's take a look at some key questions that we must ask in order to really unpack and explore this idea of grace to belong. The first question is, uh, what makes authentic community different from a crowd or acquaintances? You know, I can't tell you how many uh, sexually addicted men I've talked to that have expressed the loneliness that they have in their lives. And yet when I look at their life as an outsider, I see lots of people lots of activity. It's not as if they are living totally separate from people, but you can be around people without actually being connected to people. And I think there's a lot of lonely people who are wandering in crowds, a lot of lonely people who know how to put on the right performance when they are around a crowd or acquaintances and they're, you know, they might be held even in high esteem, but inside they are desperately lonely because nobody knows them. And so I believe the difference between authentic community versus like a crowd or even acquaintances is that in authentic community, your full story is known and you're surrounded by people who continue to welcome you even after having known your full story. And so it's a place where we are known that's really the, the distinctive of authentic community. And I think once we are known and then shown love in that community, we begin to feel a sense of belonging because now we realize I'm, I could put it this way, I'm with my people, right? I mean, it's like, these are, these are my people because when I share my story and you share your story, we realize down at the very roots of who we are, we're more alike than we are different. And so we can find those likenesses and begin to help one another. Another question that helps us unpack this is, what does it feel like to belong, to be known and loved by someone? You know, I remember when I first started my own personal recovery back in 1999 from all of my secret sexual sinful behavior, and, and I started seeing a counselor because that felt safe. You know, I can, I can go connect with a counselor, tell them all my 
problems and, and feel a sense of safety, but in a way that's, that was still kind of trying to deal with it alone. And my counselor and his wisdom said, you know, I know of a group that there's other men with similar struggles that are working through this and they're, they're journeying together and learning what it means to live by God's design together. He said, I think you need to plug into that group. I was terrified at first. I was thinking, I don't want to do that because it feels scary because up to that point, nobody had really known me. Nobody knew my thoughts and my, my, the brokenness in my heart. But I took his advice because he was proving himself to be incredibly wise and, and uh, insightful. And so I, I remember the first time I stepped into that group and started hearing other guys' stories and then started sharing my own story. And it felt like weight was just coming off of me. It felt like the things that had been holding me down, the things that had been binding me were now being loosed and being released. And uh, I just remember the it felt like somebody gets me. And I think that's really important. When we can be with other people who are willing to be authentic and real about themselves, then when we are authentic and real about ourselves, we feel a sense of belonging because we recognize this is not about anybody trying to one-up each other. This is not about trying to prove ourselves more worthy than one another. It's about saying, hey, you're broken? Yeah, me too. And then really finding a commonality there that says, I can take the mask off. I don't have to be something I'm not. And I can really begin to unpack the, the brokenness, the lies, the shame, all the things that need to be healed in my life. And then finally, another question is, why is community essential for healing? And I really, I think it gets back to this, this idea of what Jesus really was pounding into his disciples. The idea that there's a one anotherness to his people, that we are meant to live one another lives. We are not meant to live by ourselves. In fact, when Jesus was challenged by the religious leaders, and he was challenged often, they, they did not like what he taught because he was teaching something that was removing their power over people through guilt and manipulation and wielding power through the law rather than grace. And they challenged him one time and said, what's the greatest commandment singular? They wanted to try to pin their, you know, hang their hat on something that they could say, we've been doing this perfectly because they knew the letter of the law. They knew every single little bit of the letter of the law, but Jesus kind of split through and really nailed them because he said, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, if he had stopped there, it would have been possibly easy for some of these self-righteous religious leaders to say, I do that perfectly because people could look at their outward appearance. People could look at their behaviors. People could look that they had, you know, even physically put the letter of the law on their forehead and wore it on their wrist. And they could be seen as these very pious, incredibly, you know, righteous individuals because, oh, they love God. But then he really brought it home when he said, but the second is like it, or you could even translate it. The second is the same as it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus brought human community into what he considered to be the greatest commandment. In fact, elsewhere, when he talks about the love your neighbor piece, he actually said, on this law, love your neighbor as yourself, hangs all the law and the prophets. In other words, he was saying, do you really want to boil down what it's all about? 
It's all about loving your neighbor as yourself. There's a humility in that because to love your neighbor as yourself, you have to dig in. You have to, you have to care, you know, um, you have to be vulnerable. You can't be self-righteous. You can't be proud. You have to serve. And so community is essential because it begins to whittle away at our pride. It begins to show us our need for others. And it begins to build the character traits that are necessary for us to walk in integrity. Finally, in this lesson, we have a group exercise. And it's to recover from addiction, you need faithful friends who know and love you no matter what. You need to begin developing these friendships. And so the question then in the, in the group exercise, how can you begin to pursue and cultivate such relationships, such friendships? What does it look like? And so it's important to be, begin to unpack that as a group. Certainly, if you're part of a group, that can be a, a place to start because you're starting to develop some relationships within that group and you begin to see maybe some friendships form. But I think it's also important to think of maybe if you're outside of a group, think of your existing friends. Maybe some of them need to know your full story and you need to begin to pursue those relationships on a deeper level. And that's really what it's all about. Grace to belong means you're really digging in deep with people. So I'm going to stop sharing my screen here and I'm going to, uh, I would love to invite you to begin asking any questions you might have about this uh, issue of, of uh, belonging. And um, you can use the Q&A feature to begin to post those questions. And uh, I also want to say that if you want to um, get access to any of the previous um, any of the previous webinars, if you just go to gracebasedrecovery.com, gracebasedrecovery.com, the for you can uh, get access to the previous webinars there. Okay, so I've got a question here um, that says, "What if I pursue such faithful friendships, but the effort is not reciprocated?" Well, first of all, I appreciate the the struggle there. I think that's a very real possibility. You could you can push yourself into these environments. You can be seeking to build these faithful friendships, but Maybe some other people are not quite to that point where they want to go to the same depth or the same level. I want to say several things about that. One is pursuing these kind of friendships and trying to build this, these kind of relationships is a, a journey in persistence. The, and the other thing, too, is that it's something that you have to own. And what I mean by that is what I've seen happen too often is people take a little bit of energy. They start pressing in. They don't get the immediate kind of fantastic results that they would like to see and they get discouraged. And so then they just start kind of throwing a pity party because in some ways, I think in the back of our minds, we're saying, Hey, if I put forth any effort, everybody should just want to run to me and say, yes, I want to be your friend. And oh, I want to be so, you know, deep and I really want to help you. And I think we might still have more of a self-centered paradigm than we realize that says, if I put a little effort, then I want to get 10 times that kind of effort in response. And I really feel like it's a, it's a persistence in saying, I'm going to keep pouring in. Because here's what I've discovered too is you have more power than you realize to influence the environment that you're in, in terms of kind of creating this atmosphere of belonging. You want to be in an, in an environment where you feel like you belong? Be one who helps other people feel like they belong. The golden rule is always a great uh, rule to live by. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
do you want to feel like you belong? Help other people feel like they belong. So even if you're not getting, you know, an exact one-to-one reciprocation of your effort that you're pouring in, don't get discouraged. Um, The other thing too is you have to realize that uh, life is seasonal. I think sometimes we are looking for a particular kind of outcome when it comes to this idea of belonging that is sort of a pie-in-the-sky perfect utopia. Well, that's heaven. While, while we're here, there's no such thing as a perfect community. There's going to be no such thing as like a perfect friendship. There's, there's just no such thing as a perfect relationship. So I think it's important that you have realistic expectations as you go in, realizing that whoever you're seeking to, to invest in is broken just like you. Remember, that sense of belonging is really a sense of acknowledging the sameness in your, your fundamental brokenness as a human being. And so with that in mind, when you realize, okay, I'm broken and so I'm, I don't bring perfection to this relationship, well, neither do they. So let's be gracious to one another in, in the process of developing these friendships. And finally, I would also say recognize that because life is seasonal, there are going to be ebbs and flows to even the people that you are connected to. I mean, I'm in my mid-40s now, and so I've got enough life history to be able to see seasons over larger chunks of times. And there are just seasons where it's like, listen, certain seasons I'm, I was really connected to certain people and then those, that season passes and then I get connected to new people and then that season passes and, you know, it kind of goes on. And I, I remember early on when I was younger, just facing incredible disappointment and even shame about the fact that life had changed and thinking, I'm, oh man, I'm no longer connected to that person the way I used to be. And, and just, and the enemy wants to use that to kind of bring shame rather than recognizing let's celebrate the three or four years that we had, that we invested in each other, poured in each other, had a sense of belonging and God used that to grow us. And then life changed. There was a move that happened or there was just any number of things that changed the season. So rather than getting stuck in the past or stuck in a, in an idealistic mindset of what these relationships look like, be a little more, flexible and fluid with the seasonality of life. Okay, let me see if there's some other questions here. Again, if you want to post a question, please just use the Q&A feature to do that. Um, Okay, here we go. Uh, I've been in a group for a long time, but the focus seems to be on, quote, good behavior and not necessarily forming deep friendships. What can I do to shift the culture without disrespecting the leaders? Fantastic question. And, and I think this actually happens probably more than we realize, this idea that a lot of recovery groups get very narrowly focused on behavior. And don't, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that, that we have you know, no attention paid to behavior. I mean, but I want you to think of behavior is an ultimate outcome. Like change behavior is meant to be an outcome, not where we start um, necessarily, you know, I mean, I think there's, I think at first you've got to set boundaries just to say, Hey, listen, I know where, I know where the lines are that I've crossed. I need to set some boundaries, but once the boundaries are set, we really need to dig into these things that we've been talking about here about wounds and about your story and about unpacking the deeper places and really creating the sense of belonging that says your value as a member of this group is not based on your performance. Your value in recovery is not based on your performance. Your value is set by your maker. And he said, you are worth the life of his only son. That's your value. And because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he does not change, therefore, 
God's value on you does not change no matter what you do. So I would say the way that maybe you can begin to try to shift this is, you know, not try to come in all brash and be like, we're going to change things around here. We're going to, we're going to really focus on different things and we're going to create a sense of belonging. I think it's just about trying to make yourself again, that invitational person who is going to be helping others in the group feel like they belong. Maybe you can even begin to really emphasize as you answer questions or as you share with others or as you encourage others to be one who speaks this truth of value into others of, you know, when a person is maybe sharing about the struggle they had and maybe even some of the failures they had throughout the week to be able to say, thank you for sharing, but let's be reminded that there's nothing that you could ever do that would cause God to love you any less. And from that place of permanent worth that God has put on you and clothed you in, let's talk about how you could make a different decision this week when you're faced with that same temptation. But never forget that your value didn't go down this week because you failed. God loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And so we need, you know, you just have opportunity to keep speaking that into people's lives. And maybe it can help them understand there's a different foundation from which they are seeking to uh, respond to temptation and deal with temptation, but it's not, their value doesn't fluctuate based on whether they've performed well or poorly this week. Now here's the, just as a little sidebar to that. This is the thing that I, I believe you will see over time. It doesn't happen instantly, but over time is that when this grace-based message begins to kind of infiltrate the environment and kind of become the, the air you breathe in your recovery groups, I think what you end up seeing is you will begin to see change behavior. And so it's kind of like, it's not as if there's an either or thing, like either we're grace-based or, you know, we're focusing on behavior. I think we just get the, the priority out of order a lot of times. And that's what I kind of hear in this question is that there's a priority that's being, being given to behavior over this, this message of grace-based recovery over the message of value, regardless of what you do. And that then starts to become what's pounding in a person's head. And then the shame comes in and the shame will always attack your sense of worth. So I think when you shift the paradigm and say, this is, um, this is more about your understanding, your value and your intrinsic worth as a human being made in the image of God, then I think you, you start to see a sense of worth it's, it's combating those shame lies. And you go, I, I do belong here because these are people just like me who are broken, but are also seeking the grace of God and from there can have completely changed life. So I, just, I think you, you do it subtly. I think also if you get an opportunity to maybe have a one-on-one with the leaders to be able to say, can I just share with you what God's doing in me from just this grace-based perspective and, and really a, a, just a whole fresh and new understanding of what it might look like to be grace-based and how that could maybe be part of our, our messaging in the group. So great question. Another um, question here is how to deal with an understandably skeptical wife. Okay. That's, that's a little bit, I mean, uh, I'll try to answer that. I don't, um, how this, I'm not sure how to fit that into maybe the sense of grace to belong. I think obviously when you're dealing with your, your marriage issue, there's going to be, there's going to be a rift there. There's going to be broken trust. And so um, you, if for a while, you may not feel like you belong uh, in the sense of feeling, you know, Hey, we're, 
identifying with one another. We're, you know, unpacking things together. But I think um, uh, one of the ways that you deal with that is you persist in faithfulness. And I know that that can seem like an oversimplistic answer, but that's really what it is. Most of the time, the reason there's skepticism there is because she's got a long history, or at least some kind of history, of having trusted you, but now learning that you were lying, or that you were hiding, or that you weren't telling the whole truth. And so naturally, she's going to pull back and not feel like extending trust and feeling like anything you're saying or even doing is worth, you know, trusting because, hey, now she's discovered something new. And so this is something where it's not about you trying to convince your wife to trust you as much as it is about you being intent on being on mission to be a man of God, no matter if anybody believes you or not. So in other words, it's about you pursuing God and the character that he wants you to live by, no matter how your wife responds. And I mean, I know we have a desired outcome. We would love to see our wives turn and say, you're, you're becoming a different man. And I find that attractive and I'm, I'm drawn to that and I trust you. You need to leave all of those outcomes in the hands of God. And I know that's hard to do, but this is also another reason why it's so important, brother, that you plug in with some other men that you can get that sense of belonging because there's plenty of other men out there that are feeling the same thing. You're feeling like, I feel sort of isolated with my wife. I feel alone because we're not, we're not connected right now because she understandably is skeptical of me and my character and my behavior. So it's important that you get in with some brothers, even if it's just a couple of guys that you can be accountable to, that you can be sharing your story with, that you can be journeying with. And I think that will do a lot to strengthen and give you a sense of um, uh, persistence and continue to be faithful when the days get really hard and, and, and long. Okay, I've got one more question here. Um, isn't solitude also a healthy part of recovery, getting alone with God? So how does that balance with the idea of belonging in recovery? Great question. So yes, absolutely. I think solitude is an important part of our relationship with God. Remember I said earlier that our relationship with God, it's personal, but it's not intended to be private all the time. But I do think there's aspects of it that is like, it's, it's very personal. And I think there are some times where just, just the aloneness with God is critical uh, to our worship, to our um, prayer, to just our intimacy with God. But here's the thing. I think um, that solitude with God, I, I liken it to a marriage relationship, right? If we're even told that marriage is actually the picture that God has given to us as the metaphor of intimacy with him. Well, if we take that picture and understand what that picture is, are there aspects to that relationship that are meant to be only between the husband and wife? Yes. The easy answer to that is sex. (laughs) Sex is an aspect of that relationship that is not to be shared with anybody else that you could call that a solitudinal part of that relationship. That is an alone, that is a, that is a private part of that relationship. But is the relationship as a whole something that's meant to be private? In other words, am I to just take this ring off and wherever I go, I want to make sure, you know, I'm, oh, I'm married, that's, but that's private. I wouldn't want anybody to know about that. No, 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 that's not the way it works. Our, you know, so there are aspects to the relationship that are intimate, right, that are not to be shared. 
but it doesn't mean that the relationship isn't to be known by others, that the relationship isn't to have an effect on others. It has a very strong effect on our children. It has an effect in the community. It has an effect in how we make decisions that affect other people. So I would say that's kind of a way to maybe think about the balance between the solitude with God. I believe there are things that are intimate and personal between just myself and God that are not something that would ever be shared with anybody else. But the fullness of the dynamic of that relationship is not something that I'm to hide. It's not something that I'm to privatize and say it has no effect on others. It has nothing to do with anybody else. In fact, I do believe some of the things that are even received from God privately and personally, I can then sometimes bring those those insights then into a group and say, guys, let me tell you something that God is teaching me that I, I hope can benefit you. And then we can share that. And so I think that's maybe a way to balance that. Well, listeners, I hope that that episode was helpful for you in order just being able to understand this principle of belonging, of community. How do you really create a a belonging environment um, when it comes to recovery? Again, if you'd like more information about the book or the webinar series, just go to gracebasedrecovery.com. And we are always glad that you are listeners and we're glad that you were on the program today. And we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Have a great rest of your day. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.